Welcome to Trial Lawyer Talk. I'm Scott Glovsky, and I'm your host for this podcast where we have great lawyers telling great stories of cases that had a profound impact on them. Today, I'm very happy that we have Andre Gauthier from Louisiana. Andre is a real stud, an excellent trial lawyer, an excellent human being, and he's got a heart as big as the state of Louisiana. And He's always interested in learning and growing and getting better, despite the fact that he's already absolutely phenomenal. So let's get started. very happy to be sitting with a great trial lawyer and a great man and a good friend, Andre Gauthier from Gonzales, Louisiana. Andre, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me and saying such nice, kind words about me. I really appreciate that. Can you share with us a story of a case that had a profound impact on you? Yeah, I would think that the a case that that had a profound impact on me and I know you'll probably be asking me in this conversation why but I'd represented a kid with my law partner Jody Amade his name was was Tony and Tony was in a facility in Lake Charles Louisiana Tony was 39 years old in chronological years but he had the mental aptitude of a four-year-old and the facility killed Tony. Share with us how. What they did was they they took Tony and um, they had sent Tony home for the weekend and Tony was the the love of his mother's life. He had many brothers and sisters, and and I remember when I'd I'd went into their home, all of the brothers and sisters were this little modest home. All of their pictures were on the wall, and up at the top, the biggest one up at the top was Tony. And Tony, when he was four years old, he he suffered. Uh, he suffered uh, encephalitis, and it damaged his brain, and he stayed at four years old, and they'd put him in this facility. And so he had went home. He was uh, going home for the weekend, and he was like a toddler. He was excited to be going home, and he got home, and his mother said, well, Tony, you don't look well. And he goes, Mama, I don't feel good. So Mama says, I think we better take you back to the facility. And she brought him back to the facility, and when she returned there, she said, I cannot believe that you brought my son back. Let me take him home like this. He said, well, what are you talking about, ma'am? He's fine when he left here. She said, well, he's sick, and and he needs to be taken care of. And they told mom that they would get 
Tony some attention, medical attention. And the next thing that happened was mom was laying in bed one night and she got a phone call and they said, you need to come to the emergency room immediately. And when, when mom got to the emergency room, Tony was laying in a bed and he was not conscious. And he, they had all kinds of tubes and things stuck into him and um, they were helping him breathe. And she said, what's the matter? And they, they said, he's drowning. She said, what do you mean he's drowning? His lungs, his lungs had over four liters of fluid in them. Over 14 days, he gained 41 pounds. His lungs were so full of fluid that Tony's heart was jammed up against the left side of his rib cage. You could see it on the x-rays. And when we asked how did he get this way, they said he was fine up until about 15 minutes before we took him to the hospital. And I knew that couldn't be true. And then it just got worse. Doctored medical records, fabricated medical records, backdated documents, lies upon lies. And as we investigated that incident, I could see in the medical records over the years where he had been burnt with cigarettes. They wouldn't put his protective helmet on it. Nine stitches here, seven stitches here, 15 stitches here. Just stitch after stitch in his head. I'm like, you know, why wouldn't you make him wear the helmet like the doctor said? I said, well, we made him wear his helmet. Just lie after lie. And to do this to someone who, who someone who is so vulnerable, so innocent, so beautiful in the eyes of so many people, and to treat him like that, I had just it's left some type of scar on me. Where are you in this case? Because I can hear the pain of Andre. Well, it's, it brings back a feeling that I get often. It's a vibration inside of me. It's a sickness that's coupled with an anxiety. It's a a sick feeling in the stomach 
an anxiety, a chaos uh, in the chest. And I know that when I feel that, um, it's something that I, I accepted and it's just fuel and drives me very, very hard. Where does that come from in your past? I think it comes from when, although I was a, a big kid, um, I, never, I never could mature enough to sort of uh, control my body, so to speak. In other words, I was just a big, clumsy kid. My body was always too big for me as a kid, and I was never, you know, a real good athlete. Uh, you know, I had people call me clumsy and things like that. And I, I would say that that just resonates with me with the way that he was treated. Maybe he was treated less than because of his inabilities. So if your feelings could talk right now, what would they say? If my feelings could talk right now, I would say most predominantly just sadness, a loneliness, an emptiness, a helplessness, maybe. I think about him in this moment. And, and they were trying to substantiate how extraordinary the care was. And I get this orderly, and the, and the orderly tells me that when they noticed, you know, 15 or so minutes before they brought him to the hospital, which he was perfectly fine before then, I asked him, I said, well, sir, what did you do about it? He says, well... Uh, Tony was laying in the bed, and I got up in his bed with him and laid with him and consoled him. And to me, you know, this orderly was probably, you know, a 38-year-old male. And just considering the things that I was seeing in the medical records about the way this facility was run, I'm like, what in the hell is an orderly doing spooning dying Tony in his bed and it just made me sick that image absolutely disgusting and what did you do with that that feeling and that feeling that feeling it morphs into just an internal vibration. It's a vibration that is used. I've, I've always used it. I've always felt it. And it's just a fuel. It's just a hard driving, you know, I, I believe that there are, there are chemical associations with it. Uh, I think it is a form of uh, 
the production of adrenaline in the body. So it's a chemical, and the chemical fuels me and drives me such that, in my mind, um, it is just a relentless pursuit of getting down to the bottom of it. So you're in this story, and you've discovered this horrific pain and this, these lies that you're facing. What happens next? What do you mean, what happens next? In your work on the case, it sounds like you were in depositions and being lied to. Um, where did it go? Yeah, so what I want to do is I want to relive as much as I can, you know, about the case in order to understand it. And I want to become Tony. I want to become mom. I want to be the orderly. Um, I want to be the fluid in his lungs. I want to be able to visualize the, I think they called it a meta, metastanal or metastanum shift, um, which happens when they try and remove that much fluid. When you remove the fluid, um, you either let the person drown or you just punch a hole in the side of their chest cavity and you drain the fluid, but it results in a metastanum, I think is the word that they used. It's been years, but it's a shift. And that shift to kill you. When they punched the hole in Tony, the fluid hit the ceiling. When they punched him in the side of his chest cavity, there was so much pressure. When they tried to put the tube in, the fluid squirted onto the ceiling of the hospital room. So I want to be able to visualize that. I want to be able to see it. Um, I want to be the orderly. I want to be the scalpel that cuts into his chest. So, you know, we use our psychodramatic techniques to help us get there. And it gives me a better understanding. It allows me to see it. And when I see it, I can begin to try and describe what I'm seeing so that I can use words to help people understand what I saw and experienced. And it sounds like he passed away? Yeah, he died the night that he was brought into the hospital. He sure did. So how do you deal with the pain that comes from the caring and the connection to Tony and his family? You know, I don't, I don't know if I ever specifically dealt with that pain of uh, what I experienced in that case. I've, um, I've been more consumed with dealing with the 
uh, pains that I've suffered over my personal life and trying to deal with those pains. I found that the, the pains that I've suffered as a child uh, have impacted me far more than, than the pain that, that I may see in a case like this. So I'm not really sure how to answer that question except to tell you that the effect of the case on me was just to I'm not quite sure how to answer this uh, the pain the pain that I felt was it was the pain of the way human beings would treat another human being and then lie about it and fabricate to cover it up and that hurt me, but I think that pain came out in anger. And so uh, I was able to not just go in front of a jury and just begin to, you know, vomit anger on them, but I think that during the trial, the jury understood the anger. As the time proceeded, they could see the anger. And I believe that through that process, that was probably the process of the trial, was probably a, a cathartic uh, thing for me to see a jury understand and be able to relate and take care of my people. I think that heals me and brings me some bit of closure. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us because that's inspiring and seeing your connection to your client and your dedication to learning the story and your caring is really a role model for all of us. Thank you very, very, very much. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. I've, I've never been a part of a podcast uh, I, I watch God friended me and, and it involves a podcast and, and I love the, the series. And um, so it's, it's kind of interesting to be here talking into a, a mic like God friended me. But I appreciate you having me today. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of strange to be here having someone ask me about my case because there's a part of me it almost, it's like, should I even be talking about my case? You know, is this, you know, should I, do, should I do this? I mean, is it, is it against what I'm trying to do in my personal life? And, and that's not to be braggadocious and, and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, I just appreciate you being interested in me. You've always showed an interest to me. One of my first psychodramas with you, I've had a profound uh, impact um, it was a profound impact. It was brought about an anxiety-producing moment where I shut down, and I'll never forget you, and well, I appreciate you for it. Well, right back at you. I love you, brother, and I also want to share with you and with our listeners what you shared with me a few minutes ago, that you're devoted to being in service to other people, and through this interview, you are being in service and helping lawyers around the country become better lawyers and, and therefore help their clients.
So thank you. Yeah, I, I want to be in service. I know that being in service is being in service, but really it's a selfish motive because I know that one of the ways I can keep myself sober and straight and in between the ditches is if I'm in service for other people, it actually helps keep me grounded. So I appreciate it. I appreciate your interest. And uh, I love you so much. I love you too. Thank you. Thank you. What a, what a wonderful afternoon I've just spent and we've all spent. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Trial Lawyer Talk. If you like the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could give us a good review on iTunes, and I'd love to get your feedback. You can reach me at www.scottglovsky.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-G-L-O-V-S-K-Y.com. And I'd love to hear your feedback. You can also check out the book that I published called Fighting Health Insurance Denials, A Primer for Lawyers. That's on Amazon. Uh, I put the book together based on 20 years of suing health insurance companies for denying medical care to people, and it provides a general outline of how to fight health insurance denials. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you in the next episode.